If you have a copy of the Bible or you have access to it on your device, would you just turn with me to the first chapter of the Gospel of John? We'll look at one verse here this morning, but we will look at some verses before it and after it as well. Several years ago, I was out of college, and it was time to update the car that I had been driving. It was no longer legally safe to drive it on the highway. And uh, I had, had a check that I needed to deposit in order to purchase a little used pickup truck. I can still remember the check was for $3,400. It was in the evening, it was dark, and I decided to take that check to the bank where I would deposit it. And as I parked there in a parking lot, walked up to the bank, imagine my surprise when I reached into my pockets and I couldn't find a check. Now, if you know me, this is a common experience, but uh, I was going through my jacket pockets, my pa- pants pockets, and I could not find that check. And it didn't help that it was dark. So I went back to the vehicle, and I, I began to rummage around in my vehicle. It's got to be here somewhere, and, and it wasn't. And then my mind just began to wonder, I mean, what's going to happen here? If this check just goes missing, this is a significant amount of money for me at, at this time and back then, certainly. Eventually, I I drove back to the house I was staying in in the garage. And in the providence of God, there was a light shining there in the garage. And I just happened to look underneath the vehicle. And lo and behold, was the missing check. It illustrates how helpful light can be. There in the garage, we were able to discover where that check was and and a few days later was able to get a different vehicle. This morning's passage is about light. We see it here in John chapter 1, verse 9, where John records the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. There's this theme of light That runs through the scriptures. God is light, according to verse John chapter 1, verse 5, and there is no darkness at all in him. This speaks about his holiness. He is pure, and there's an absolute separation from evil in his character. In the opening words of the Bible, we understand that before there was a world, there was darkness over the land. And then God said, let there be light. Now, often during Christmas, we we go back to the Gospel of Matthew or the Gospel of Luke, and for good reason. That's there where we read about the wise men. We read about the angel visiting Mary or the angel visiting Joseph. But today, what I'd like us to do is just take a few moments and consider the Christmas story from the Gospel of John's account. Whereas Matthew and Mark will begin with genealogies and go back to maybe the birth of John the Baptist, John, the gospel writer, actually goes way back. As you know the context in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The writer 
of the Gospel of John actually goes back to creation because it is there where Jesus existed. We call this the pre-existence of Christ, his pre-incarnate existence. Now, throughout the Christmas story, we also see this evidence of, of bright light. We just sang, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is right. And if we would have sung, O little town of Bethlehem, we would have heard this little phrase, in the dark street shineth the everlasting light. Or angels from the realm of glory, yonder shines the infant light. As we think of this Christmas season, our minds often go to lights. And as you look at the origin of the Christmas story and and where we get these Christmas trees, some have argued that you can actually trace back the origin of the Christmas trees to Martin Luther. One day when he observed these trees, he observed lights, and he thought to himself, Jesus is the light of Christmas, and we ought to bring a a pine tree in our house and put lights on it, because that points to the light of Christ. Later today, after our Christmas Eve service, it's our tradition as a family to go to the Indian Trails subdivision, and they have these luminaries that they have set out alongside the road in the darkness. There's these paper bags and these little candles in them, and when you turn your car lights off, the lights guide you. So today, all I'd like to do is take a look at three different qualities of Jesus that all pertain to light. The first thing we see here is that Jesus is genuine. Look what it says again in chapter 1, verse 9. It says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. An emphasis on the word true. If you're familiar with the Gospel of John, you know that this isn't the only place where John is going to offer this word true. And we can go to the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John, in which Jesus is going to identify himself as the true vine. This word vine, and this metaphor of vine, is found throughout the Old Testament. There were times where God's people were to be described as a vine. Unfortunately, they were wild vines. And when they bore fruit, it was bitter-tasting fruit that no one would want to have eaten. So when Jesus says in the Gospel of John, I am the true vine, he is the only one that has obeyed his Father perfectly. And from his life comes a well-tasting fruit. In another place in the Gospel of John, John chapter 6, he says, I am the true bread that comes down from heaven. If you know the Old Testament story of Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt, they have this time of wandering in the desert where they're hungry and they're thirsty and and God the Father provides for them bread called manna. Every day they could eat of this. And as Jesus is referring to that in John chapter 6, he is identifying that that bread would leave them unsatisfied, that every day they would need more bread. But he is living bread. He is the true bread that will satisfy. Now we look here at verse 9 again where it says that Jesus is 
the true light. In the Old Testament temple, there would have been a lampstand that was to have a flame on it, and it was to be a continual flame. In fact, it was the priest's responsibility to make sure that those lamps always had oil in them. And so they would burn this light into the darkness. What is taking place in these things of the vine, of the bread, and of the light is we are seeing these shadows in the Old Testament scriptures that are all pointing towards Jesus. And when we read here in verse 9 that this true light is coming to the world, what he is saying is there's no more need for these shadows because the person is coming. There's no more need for these foretelling Savior that will come because the Savior has been born. Let me just ask you a question. Would you rather have the shadows or would you rather have the object of those shadows, the person? Imagine a little girl that that loves her father is tucked into bed one night and she is assured that even though her father has been gone all week because of business, he is due to fly back that night to the airport. And there she lies in bed anticipating the arrival of her father. And with glee, she hears the front door open. And as the door swings open, she can hear her father's voice greet her mother. Now the door of her bedroom is cracked open just a little bit. And within a few minutes, she can see the shadow of her father passing in the hallway. She can identify that silhouette. That is the silhouette of her father. And so suddenly she is relieved to know that he is back home. But her excitement and joy intensifies when the door is opened. And he comes beside her and kneels beside her bed and says, Little one, I have missed you all week and I am so glad to see you. And he embraces her and says, Tomorrow it's just you and me and we are going to enjoy a wonderful fellowship together. What would you rather have? The person or the shadow? So you see what Christmas is, it's a pointing to the person that has arrived. He is Jesus. And we no longer need the foreshadows of the Old Testament. So the first thing we see is that Jesus is genuine. He is authentic. The second thing we see here on this word light is that Jesus exposes, again, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now, I think we could have easily made a list of probably at least 10 different adjectives to describe what light does and how Jesus is like them. But we've got a lot of little ones here today, so let me just offer a little restraint, and I'm only going to give you two. The first is light exposes. Jesus exposes. You know, there's something embedded here in these earlier verses. It says here in verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now, you know what a witness is. This is a legal term that speaks about a person that is brought in a trial. And all they need to do is speak the truth about what they have observed. 
And there's something here in verses 6, 7, and 8 that says this John the Baptist came to give a witness about the light, Jesus. Now I would ask you a question. When a person enters a room and there is light present, do they really need a witness to tell them that there is light there? There's only one person that would need that, and that is a, a blind man. Yeah, blind man. <laughs> That's a person that is unable to see. And so they need someone to identify, oh, the light's been turned on. And what this is saying is that our condition, men and women in the first century as well as today, spiritually speaking, is so corrupt, is so sinful, that we are blind. That we don't even know when we are in sin. We don't even know when we're obeying or disobeying. And so we need Jesus to come to point us to the truth that reveals to us our sin. I don't know how many of you have had the distinction of living in an apartment or a house with cockroaches. I have. Many years ago, my brother and I lived in Madison. We just lived a few blocks from the Capitol. And it was a common practice virtually every morning as we were making coffee to open up the, the cupboard door. And then when we did, the light would be exposed into that little cabinet and suddenly the cockroaches would scatter. Evidently, they don't like light. They're very sensitive to that. I don't mean to offend you today, but we have a little cockroach in us too. We do not like to have our sin exposed. And this is one of the primary purposes of which Jesus came to point out our sin. There were four distinct days as a boy in school that I dreaded. It was a day in which the report card would be mailed home. There was the first quarter, the second quarter, the third quarter, and the fourth quarter. And why did I dread that? Because there, my parents would observe my laziness and my ignorance in school. And so when Jesus comes, there is some truth that I want to share with you, that he does come and he does expose us and our sinfulness. It's said in John 3, 20 and 21, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that they may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So, so far we've seen that Jesus is genuine. Jesus exposes. And now finally, Jesus guides. When you look at this word guide, this word light, that's exactly what he does. He helps you find things like a check that's underneath a vehicle. Do you remember when you were a kid and you would go to the movie theater and the whole room would be really dark and, and during a, the movie there'd be a scene of which it was also really dark. And the only light that you had to get from your seat to the concession stand would be this little strip of lights along the aisle on the right side or the left side. They kind of look like Christmas lights. Thank God for those lights, right? You needed them to illuminate your path. Fortunately, Jesus not only exposes our sin, but he also guides us in how we can have our sins 
forgiven. We don't need to be afraid of light. In Jesus, there is forgiveness of sins. We can step into the light, be honest about our sins and confess them because Jesus would come and die for our sins and he would place those sins there upon him on the cross as he serves as our substitute. Jesus would say in John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And in John 12, verse 46, he says, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. We live in a dark world. One of the things Jesus has done is he's exposed our sin, but he has not left us in the darkness of the sin. He has provided himself as the light to direct us out of that darkness through the cross, through the empty tomb that Jesus has provided for us. I don't know about you, but I often wake up in the dark, and so I often will keep my phone underneath my pillow, not only as my alarm clock, but also for that little flashlight feature. Because on more than one occasion, I've gotten up in the dark only to realize that one of my sons is sleeping on the floor down there. And they've told me they don't really appreciate it when I stand on them. <laughs> so I have a light that guides me. And Jesus is our light. Look what it says again in verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone. Jesus has come. And he has provided sufficient light for everyone to know about their sin. And this light also provides a sufficient way for us to know our way out of sin through what he has done for us. So we need to confess our sins. We need to bring them out into the light. And he will forgive them and offer a relationship. The next part of verse 9 says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And it's that little phrase, was coming into the world, that we celebrate and we pause on on this particular day. Do you remember that story? As the angel greeted the shepherds there in Luke 2, it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you this day in the city of David is born who is Christ the Lord. We think of the magi or the wise men that looked up to the light, a star in the sky that led the wise men to where Jesus was. Or just a matter of days after Jesus was born as his parents brought him into the temple to have him dedicated. You remember the old man named Simeon who scooped up baby Jesus in his arm and he prophesied. In Luke 2, he said this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, yet you've prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And so there is the, there's the story that Jesus has come as the light. He is genuine. He exposes, but he also guides. That's what we celebrate during this Christmas season. But before we end, I want to remind you that this is not the end 
of this story. Because there's two different options that we have with this story. This is not just a historical event, but it's an event that extends an invitation to everyone here today. An invitation to have a relationship, to step into the light. Look what it says here in verses 10 and 11. The first option you have is to reject Jesus. It says, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His people did not receive Him. Would you imagine? Jesus Himself created this world. He has given to you and I. He's given to everyone everything they need. And yet, people, many, will reject Jesus. I heard a story, I don't think it's true, but it was in one of the sources that I was reading in preparation for this week, of a poor family that was made up of a dad, a mom, and a son. And the dad and mom worked really hard. And as that little boy was being brought up, they said to themselves, we never want this son to live a life in his adult years like we live right now. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to work our fingers to the bone. We are going to work really hard and try to save any penny that we can so one day we can send our son off to college, a quality school in which he will never need to live like this in his adult years. And you know what? They did it. They were able to scrape away enough money Provide for their son where he could go off to college. And that son went off to college, enjoyed it, began to enjoy all of his friends and his relationships. But there was a missing, a mourning in the heart of the father and mother. And they thought to themselves, it's wonderful that we've been able to send them away, but we miss our son. Why don't we work really hard? We'll try to save some money so that we can go visit our son. So after a long period of time, they do that. They actually make their way to the college campus. And because they had worked so hard all these years, their clothing was beat up. It was rags. It was dirty. They were more concerned about their son and being able to have a relationship with him. And there across the campus, they saw their son. And their son was surrounded with some friends. And their heart swelled with joy to be in the company of their son and to see him doing so well. And so they called out, Son, it's us, Mom and Dad. We are, we are so excited to see you. We've come all this way. We've worked really hard just to say hi and to spend some time with you. But because of their appearance, the son looked across the campus and he said to his friends, I don't know who these guys are, but they're not my parents. And he turned his back And he walked away off to eat with his friends. Would you consider with me that response? Is there something within you that makes you upset about that? How dare that ungrateful son not extend a relationship of gratitude towards his parents? But that's exactly what we see here in verses 10 and 11. What have we been given that we have not received by the kindness of Jesus. And yet we can turn our back on him and say, I don't don't want this light in my life. But there is a second option, not to reject, 
but to receive. Look what it says here in verse 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, he believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. There's a second group of people that when they hear this message, the light coming to them the Christmas morning, that they say, oh, I I want to receive him. I want that light to shine in my life. I know there's a lot of darkness. I know there's a lot of regrets and a lot of sin, but I want to come out. I want to confess it. And I want to enter into this relationship with Christ. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, an old Baptist preacher said it's like this. It's like a beggar that is on the street corner with an old warped tin can. And he holds it up as asking for some help. And an old wealthy man comes up into that tin coin and pours piles of gold coins into that cup. Well, would you be willing to offer the cup of your life this morning to Jesus to have him fill it? What exactly does it mean to receive him? Like it says there in verse 12. Another pastor says, receiving Jesus means that when Jesus offers himself to you, you welcome him into your life for what he is. If he comes to you as Savior, you welcome him as Savior. If he comes to you as leader, you welcome his leadership. If he comes to you as provider, you welcome his provision. If he comes to you as counselor, you welcome his counsel. If he comes to you as protector, You welcome his protection. If he comes to you as authority, you welcome his authority. If he comes to you as king, you welcome his rule. You don't just invite him into your life. And the moment he asks of you to do something you don't want to do, you say, I'm done with this Christ stuff. No, to receive him is to receive all of him and who he is. So there you have it before you. We've been able to talk about this great gift of Jesus, the light. He's the genuine light. He is the light who exposes. He is also the light that that guides us, that directs us. And will you let Jesus into your life? And for those of you who have, knowing many of the members here of our church have, then I just want to leave this with you. Then you and I are like the moon. The moon that has no ability to have light in and of itself. But the whole purpose of the moon is to reflect the light that comes from the sun. Boy, I remember several years ago, before we had any kids, my wife and I were camping in northwest Texas at Palo Duro Canyon. And the moonlight in the middle of the night was so bright that there was a shadow that was cast on our campsite. Friends, that's what we're supposed to be as Christians that we are to allow the sun, S-O-N, to shine in our life so brightly that it reflects on other people's lives. You know, some of those people are going to welcome it, and unfortunately, some of them are not. But we can't help be the people that Jesus has made us to be. So rejoice, loved ones. The light has come. We have great news May we welcome that light. Would you join me as we pray?
Our fathers, we think about these words today, just a one little verse, but so much in it. Myself, I'm still like that cockroach. I, I don't like it when, when a light is shown into my heart and reveals the sin. But this is what we need. This is why Jesus has come. And so I pray that you would take these words today and we would be able to see ourselves. Will we be the ones to receive this light, receive this Jesus? Or will we keep him at a distance? Lord, I pray for you just to work and draw people to yourself. They hear a message like this and say, No, I want Jesus to not only forgive me, I want Jesus to rule my life. And if that's you, you don't need a priest. You don't need a bunch of activities. You don't need to be baptized. You, by faith, right where you're at, can ask him to save you. Ask him to be Lord and rule your life. You could do it right now in your own words. Please consider doing that. Father, thank you again for this affirming word that Jesus has not come just as a historical event, but there is an invitation that's extended to all of us that we can be a part of this great redeeming story. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.